Back in 2021, I made the decision that I was going to sew a really infamous project in the world of quilting called the Project of Doom. It is a foundation paper pieced Harry Potter themed bookcase quilt. Um, and it is sort of notorious for being time consuming, all consuming, and taking people oceans and oceans of time to put together, which is why they call it the Project of Doom. And because it's me, I couldn't just make one. I come from a family of Harry Potter fanatics. And I knew that if I made one for one family member, then all the rest of our family members would be feeling resentment, uh, abandonment, anger, frustration, left out, unloved, something. Um, so I committed, I committed to sewing five Harry Potter bookcase quilts planned to finish at Christmas 2022. And I don't know if you're looking at the calendar, but Christmas 2022 is coming up very soon. So in this episode of the Whip Stitch podcast, we're checking in on the Whip Stitch Project of Doom quilt along and talking a little bit about holiday sewing. Thanks for listening. <laughs> episode of the Whip Stitch Podcast is brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. It's confusing to find a clear path to upgrade your sewing skills so you can make garments that you love. With the League of Dressmakers, step-by-step -step video guides lead you to fearlessly sew the best garments of your life. Our videos and guidance have led thousands of dressmakers to more satisfying sewing and better handmade clothes. Master the sewing techniques that ensure everything you make feels great to wear. Get better results with fewer mistakes and more confidence with the League of Dressmakers. Find us at League of Dressmakers. That's L-E-A-G-U-E of Dressmakers.com. I don't know when you're listening to this recording, but it is currently October of 2022. It is not Halloween yet, but all the Halloween decorations are out. They are up and uh, fall is in the air, even where I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, in the Deep South, we are widely known for being outdoors way later in the autumn season than a lot of regions. Uh, we actually, our family... For American Thanksgiving, which is the third Thursday of November, we serve our Thanksgiving meal outside more often than we don't. That's how long it stays warm where we live. So um, so we're actually having leaves falling in autumn weather here where I live right now. And it is the rare year where it doesn't feel weird to be thinking about the holidays in October. Um, but most years, most years where I live... Thinking about the holidays, thinking about Christmas and gift giving and, you know, trees and Santa and elves and reindeer in October where, you know, maybe it's maybe it's 50 degrees when you wake up, but it's definitely going to be 80 by the time it's four in the afternoon. It seems impossible to think about that. A lot of I have a lot of friends who love Christmas. They love Christmas. And as far as they're concerned, um, once July is finished, all bets are off and it's Christmas time for everybody. I, I grew up with, mm, 
you know, actually, now that I say this out loud, I was about to say I grew up in a family where we don't decorate for Christmas until after Thanksgiving. That might actually be a me thing. I might have to check with my mom on that one. I really feel strongly as a human, as an individual, I feel very strongly about not decorating for the holidays, for Christmas specifically, until after Thanksgiving is over. I feel like the turkey really gets overlooked. I love Thanksgiving. I love it conceptually. I love that we have a day set aside where where we set aside all of our, our own stuff to see family, where we, um, you know, enjoy the relationships we've built with friends who feel like family, where we make all of our favorite food and we don't experience this sense of um, it's verboten, you know, like today's the day I'm eating all that macaroni and get out of my way. I'm having candied pecans like I love Thanksgiving. So it has always been really tricky for me to start thinking about the holidays at any point before the day after Thanksgiving. Having said that, I also really, really, really love handmade gifts. And if you sew at all, then you have to understand, I think, I think I'm think ta- I'm preaching to the choir. I hope you understand. I appreciate you if you understand that the math doesn't work out. If you wait till the day after Thanksgiving to sew handmade gifts, then the ambitious plans we all hold in our generous hearts can't be met by any human. It's just not, I can't make handmade gifts for everybody if I don't start soon enough. So it feels odd to me in October to be talking about sewing for Christmas, but if I don't talk in October about sewing for Christmas, then people aren't getting holiday gifts from my sewing machine. And that applies regardless of what winter holiday or gift-giving occasion you celebrate. Um, Hanukkah's even sooner. You know, like you just you just can't wait till December to start to start your sewing. So, um, so for this particular Christmas, the plan was, and I, I've written about this on my blog before. Um, I've talked about it on my YouTube channel. Uh, my family, meaning my nuclear family, me and my husband and our children, have a tradition about Christmas gifts that goes back over a decade. We had one Christmas where when we brought out all the wrapped gifts and put them under the tree, I felt physically ill. Like legitimately, I felt nauseated. I looked at all these presents for our, I think we had four children by then. I think all of our kids were here by then. But we looked at all these gifts under the tree and they didn't fit. They were like piled up against the walls. They were hidden in the brand. You know, there just wasn't enough room for the number of things we had purchased for them. And it made me feel ill. Like I I experienced buyer's remorse and guilt and this sense of greed. And I felt like the the volume of presents that our kids were getting was out of proportion, was really hypocritical relative to the values that we speak about publicly and that we want to transmit to our kids. I didn't feel good about it at all. Um, I knew, and I've tried to be very transparent about this, you know, talking to myself in the mirror, but also in long conversations with my husband, I knew that I was the driver behind a lot of that, that you know, I, I had taken it on myself 
to be responsible for making sure the Christmas lists got checked off. That was my task. And I just, I went nuts, right? Like I, I saw, you know, oh, just one more little thing, just one more little thing. And, you know, and I ended up purchasing lots and lots of one more little things to the point that I didn't feel good about it. So we developed over the, the following year, we developed a philosophy for our family for how we felt good about doing gifts that we have refined over time. Um, and again, I've written about this on my blog. So number one, our kids get two gifts from us. They get one from Santa and they get one from the parents. Uh, we've worked with our kids. My husband didn't want us to tell them about Santa at all. He really felt like, why would you start your kids off in life with a lie that eventually they're going to discover is a lie that undermines everything else you tell your kids? Um, I was raised on Santa. So for me, it didn't feel like a lie. It felt like a tradition. Um, but as time went on, I really have come around to his way of thinking like, that's kind of wackadoodle. Why do we do that? And so we, I, I wish I could credit where we read about this concept, um, but we came across a writer who had solved that problem with their kids that each time a child got to, somewhere around the age of 10, most kids get there, um, where they're like, wait a minute. And they kind of put the pieces together. And they're like, Santa, you're Santa. Uh, unless they are willfully believing, which some kids are. Our youngest is like a willful believer. Most kids, by the time they get around 10, they're, they're, they're on to you. They're, they smelled you out. And so there was a writer we came across who talked about how they handled that in their family that that year, as Christmas season approached and the kid was like, you know, poking tires, asking questions, sniffing around, they'd go out for like a cocoa and it was just the two of them, you know, kind of adult and child one-on-one -on -one, and have a conversation about, here's, the, I'm going to let you in on a secret. And um, you're right, I am Santa. And now that you're old enough, you can be Santa too. Because the thing about Santa is it isn't a just, it's not that it's a person, it's that it's a feeling and, and that you, now you get to be the surpriser, right? The feeling you get from being Santa is you get to meet someone else's wish and you don't need to get credit for it because the joy is in seeing that person get the thing that they were hoping for. The joy is in fulfilling someone else's hope and not getting credit. So let's see how good you can be at that. I don't know if I'm summarizing that as well as the writer did, but but that was the that was the general idea. Um, and when we talked to our kids about that, you know, when they kind of confronted us and were like, what up, lady? <laughs> Part of it was that they were saying, did you lie? Are you Santa? They weren't just saying, is Santa real? They were saying, are you Santa? So where we departed from what the the writer had said, and kind of went rogue because in the moment I was like pinned like a, like a moth under a light. Um, I said, here's the thing. You know, you guys get to play pretend a lot and adults don't. And it's fun for us to do something wonderful for you and participate in that surprise and not have you think, thanks, mom, and not have you – like you don't – did you ever have to – you know, like say thanks for a gift you didn't really want. Like the great thing about Santa is I get to feel that feeling, that magical feeling of of ha helping 
helping you see like the glitter and the stars and the, you know, like that, that sensation of the world is a good place. The world is a safe place. The world is a joyful place that mystery and surprise are, are still alive and hope can be fulfilled. Like, so I, I tried to present it to our kids as like, this was not me wanting to lie to you because a lie is an intentional attempt to mislead you so that I don't get caught. This was me participating in something that now you get to participate in, which is the joy of giving without expecting anything in return. Okay, so um, so they get one gift for, that was a really, you know, welcome to Whipstitch, long story long. Um, so they get one gift from Santa. And our goal when they get a gift from Santa that, you know, they'll make a list. And again, it happens way earlier in the year than I feel comfortable with. It's usually around Halloween. We say, all right, put your list together. What, what, are the, what's the, what do you really, really, really want for Christmas? What would be the best surprise Christmas morning? Um, again, it could be it could be Hanukkah, it could be you know whatever gift giving holiday you celebrate. Our family celebrates Christmas. Um, what is the what is the gift that would be the best surprise for you? And we have them make a list, and and then we sort of hmm, as subtly as I'm capable, which is not super subtle, um, we try to have conversations after the list is received, like you know to ferret out if you gave me a list of eleven items, like what's the item because you know Santa's not bringing you 11, right? You know that, right? Okay. I'm trying to figure out what's the one thing they most want. And because we've limited our budget to them only getting two gifts, one from us and one from Santa, the, we have really had the fortune that we can almost always fulfill that wish for them. That, you know, some years our kids ask for, I mean, one year our son was like, I want a 3D printer. And we were like, are you serious right now? And the same year his sister said, I want that Anna doll from Frozen. I think it was $21. She always asks for like, you know, like one kid will ask for the most mundane, achievable present. And then the other kid is like off the rails. I want a Corvette. Okay, matchbox car it is. Um, so we try very, very, very hard to whatever degree is within our power to get them the thing they most want or to massage that wish to a size that is more practical. You're not getting a Corvette, but ooh, you know, I you know what I have seen? I've seen a remote control Corvette and it's really cool. Oh my gosh, it's almost the same thing. You know, like massage it down to size. Um, so we do that. They get a, a gift from Santa. The second gift they get is a gift from us, from their parents. Um, and when they were very small, like preschool, elementary age, we would work to make that something they, you know, like something off their list. And as time went on, we didn't feel great even about that. We didn't feel great about bringing more stuff into our house, but we did feel great about investing in experiences that we could do as a family. And so we came around to, I think, three years in a row, four years in a row, giving them um, trips. Like if our family was going to take a really big trip, that would be their Christmas gift was that ticket, that plane ticket. And sometimes we would couple that with like a themed gift. So, uh, you know, one year we all went to Hawaii and, uh, you know, they each got like a Hawaiian theme. One of them got like a volcano kit and one of them got like a hula dress up outfit, you know, like, so they got these themed and then the ticket would be inside the same package. They figured that out pretty fast, by the way, which my husband predicted they would. He's like, they're going to know. They're not going to know. How are they going to know? They're going to know. They did know. They did know. Um, so we do that. Um, 
for them so that, you know, like they are all getting the same thing and it's a fairly big ticket item, but it's also that's their Christmas gift um, rather than us purchasing a bunch of stuff that they can't take with them on the trip because that didn't make a lot of sense. And then our kids also get a stocking, a sort of an over-the-top stocking with lots of smaller things in it, candy we wouldn't normally let them buy or, you know, a little tiny, like a, a set of cards or a magic trick or, you know, something small, but the, it's in wrapping paper that they can unwrap. So um, when we do gifts for the kids, I don't always make something handmade, right? As you can hear, like if they're asking for something store-bought from Santa, then Santa's going to buy the thing from the store. I'm not going to give them a handmade substitute. I don't actually think that's kind to children. Um, when we get them something for from the parents, because it so often is an experience, it's difficult to hand make that. Um, and so sometimes I'll make them, you know, like a, a like a, a ticket holder, passport holder, you know, something small, um, but not very frequently. Usually their two big gifts are store-bought. They are not handmade. Um, in our family, our tradition has been since my husband and I got married, we do not open gifts unless it is Christmas Day. Like you open your presents Christmas morning. And in fact, as I was growing up and I passed this on to my children and invited my husband into this tradition... Um, in my family growing up, the kids could get up whenever they wanted. I mean, it's a like after after dawn, not like three in the morning, like a reasonable daylight hour. The kids can get up um, and woe unto you if you unwrap a present. Do not even peek. That is not a thing. But you may open your stocking whenever you like. And then the adults can meander in. Once they finally are like, it's time to get awake, they can make their coffee, they can ease into the morning. Like, there isn't this rush of consumption, 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 consumption. It really, and that was that was my husband's and my goal was, let's slow down the messaging of today's about getting stuff and instead imbue the morning with this idea that today's about feeling loved. Today's about feeling like I'm being heard. People listen to me. People know what's important to me. People care about my heart. That the gifts I'm getting are not about the stuff. They are about the fact that someone in my life notices what I like, what brings me joy, what makes me feel cared for, and wants to offer me that even if they don't get credit. That was the message, the very quiet underlying message we were working to communicate and, and letting them open their stockings first thing and have something sweet and this treat and this, the joy and the, oh, my stocking is full and the magic and the everything, the surprise. They can do that and go to, and then when the adults come out, we don't have to feel pressured. You know, we don't feel any resentment about getting up at the crack of whenever. We don't feel irritation. We don't, none of that. We're not putting on the brakes. We get to enjoy the morning as well. And the kids will come be like, guess what was in my stocking? And I get to say, I can't imagine another orange. And you know, they, yes, and they're excited about that too. So, um, so it really makes a nicer morning. Here's the other thing, the handmade thing that I do for our family. Maybe every year for the last 10 years or so. Um, because we don't open anything Christmas Eve, but the kids are, when they were very small, were like losing their minds. Um, 
we knew some families had a tradition where you would open a single present on Christmas Eve. And I could not get, I just couldn't get on board with that, particularly when we only get two presents. So um, we ended up, because they were really little, we ended up making, I started making them pajamas. They needed them anyway. They were little. They, our kids were little. And they needed pajamas because they were growing. Gosh. They were growing so fast. So by the time Christmas rolls around, you know, where we live, we go back to school in August. And you've got, so you've got this flurry where summer flies by. It's practically over before it even starts. Um, but you get to August and suddenly you're like, what, school? And why don't you have any shoes that fit? And you, so you go out and you do all this like back to school stuff, not because you want to buy a bunch of stuff, but because the kids are bigger and they need shoes that uh, cover their toes. I don't know. So you do that and you're, I wasn't, I'm not thinking about pajamas when I do back to school shopping. I'm not. And then um, for, for our family, the way it always plays out is that the autumn is just insanity. School starts and then back to school activities start and then fall sports start and then suddenly it's Halloween. And, you know, I like to make handmade Halloween costumes for years I did. And so you're doing that. So yeah, by the time you start thinking about the Christmas list, it's like things have flown past. Our kids actually needed pajamas because I had not thought about pajamas since, oh, I don't know, May. But when you have children who are between the ages of two and, oh, I don't know, 15, they've grown two sizes since May. So they actually always needed a new pair of pajamas anyhow. So I started making them handmade pajamas, which we wrap up in Christmas wrapping paper, and they open after dinner on Christmas Eve. And some years we would go to like a Christmas Eve service at the church down the street from us. Other years we would have like a really nice Christmas Eve dinner by candlelight. Some years we would be with family on Christmas Eve. Christmas pajamas were really easy to take with us if we were traveling, you know, but they are, they were always wrapped up in Christmas paper, tied with a ribbon that got their name on them. Everybody gets a new pair of Christmas pajamas. One year, I made matching pajamas for our girls' American Girl dolls, and our son that year had this woolly mammoth doll that he loved and slept with. So I made pajamas for the woolly mammoth doll that matched their pajamas. And um, it really kind of went all out on the handmade Christmas pajamas, which loops us back around to what are we doing sewing for the holidays in October? We have six people in our family. One of my children is a grown adult. She's out of the house. The other three still live at home, plus me, plus my husband. I really like making whole sets of matching pajamas, bottoms and tops. That is a lot of sewing, you guys. That is six full outfits, plus dolls, you guys. It's a, if I didn't start in October, they would not be opening Christmas pajamas on Christmas Eve. It's not a thing. You're listening to the Whip Stitch Podcast, brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. Get on a clear path to upgrade your sewing skills with the League of Dressmakers. You deserve the satisfaction and enjoyment of sewing garments you're proud to show off. No matter where your sewing skills are now, the League of Dressmakers will lead you step by step to the next level with personalized video collections, exclusive skill building designs, one-on-one -on -one interaction so you can fearlessly sew the best garments of your life. Join our connected community on our brand new social platform with no ads whatsoever, anywhere, anytime, and make friends in the League of Dressmakers. You can find us at L-E-A-G-U-E of dressmakers.com. So when I committed to making these 
Project of Doom quilts back at the dawn of time, 20 minutes ago in your life, um, I knew, I knew, like I'm, I'm talking about making five foundation paper pieced quilts and giving them all on the same day for Christmas gifts. So when I committed to this in October of 2021, I knew even by my ridiculously ambitious standards that Christmas 2021 was like never going to happen. That's not a thing. Come on, dude. Instead, I committed to I'm going to make them for Christmas 2022. That gives me 15 months to sew these five quilts. So here we are. It is October 2022. It has been one year since I committed to these quilts, and I'm already thinking about holiday sewing for this year, and I thought it would be time to check in with you guys on my progress. It's not great. <laughs> it's not great. Um, I really love this project. Uh, verbally, let me describe this if you have never seen the Project of Doom. Foundation paper piecing is a method of making a quilt design that is very, very accurate because you stitch the fabric on a design, a template that's printed on a piece of paper which means that every time you stitch and fold the fabric back to the right side, it is very, very accurately sewn. You don't have to worry about making seams line up or match. And so you can do portraits, you can do letters, you can do all sorts of wackadoodle shapes, and they're insanely accurate because you sew on the line, right? It's kind of the connect the dots of quilting. This particular quilt is all designed it's called the Project of Doom. I think the first year was 2011, and then it was revisited in 2015. All of the patterns are available online for free. Just Google Project of Doom quilt, and you will find them all. You can download and print them. Um, there are variations. There are like fan, almost like the fan fiction equivalent of quilt block patterns. So there are, I mean, maybe there are definitely over 100 different quilt blocks to choose from. Each quilt block measures 10 and a half inches unfinished. So before it is put into the quilt, 10 inches once it's inside the quilt. Um, I've seen a, so many different designs and they're amazing. Because it's a bookcase quilt, a lot of the segments are just rectangles. They look like books. But then other ones are elements. This particular one is a Harry Potter-themed bookcase quilt. So other ones are elements from the Harry Potter films. Hagrid's Pink Umbrella, um, you know, the spiders, the sorting hat, the golden snitch, howler, like there are all sorts of different, you know, there are scarves for each of the, uh, the um, Hogwarts houses. There are all these different elements from the stories. It can be insanely personalized to the person who's going to get the quilt. All of them fit on shelves inside a bookcase, and then you can put other stuff around the bookcase. There are like floating candles, there's a sleeping Norbert the dragon, and there are po bottles of potions that you can put. There's a little tiny Hogwarts Express toy train. There are a bunch of different elements that you can put all around it. Um, and so I planned out these quilts so that each one would have five shelves. Each shelf would have five blocks. So they're, uh, they're 50 inches across inside the shelf and then 50 inches tall. And then you can put, there's like a finial that you can put on top, like a little um, crest piece at the top of the shelf that you could do. There are a bunch of different legs 
bookcase legs from which to choose. And then you can do elements around it. I chose two different fabrics, one for the lower half behind the bookcase so that it would look like there was some wainscoting on the wall. And then another K facet print for each, a different one for each of the five quilts so that it would look like there was wallpaper above the wainscoting behind the bookcase. And so when you start to do the math, you realize it isn't just you know, 25 blocks per quilt because it's five by five inside the bookcase, which on its own is 125 blocks, but it's also all the surrounding elements. So it ended up being 38 or 40 blocks per quilt times five, which is so many. It's so many, you guys, it's so many. Um, and, uh, and this became one of those projects and I wonder, I wonder if this is your experience, if you've ever wanted to sew a handmade holiday, where it wasn't really that I was too ambitious. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. It really was not that I was too ambitious. It's that because this is an ambitious project that was so far in the future, I tended to push it to the back burner anytime something more urgent came along. Like if you've ever read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, he talks about the four quadrants. You've got urgent and important. And if you put that in a grid, you get some things are urgent and important. Other things are urgent, but not important. Some things are not urgent, but important. And other things are not urgent and not important, right? Like if you've got like a Punnett square, almost like a little four, you know, two row, two column grid, right? And, and this was always important but it wasn't urgent. And because it wasn't urgent, it I felt like I was stealing time from more urgent projects in order to work on this one. It felt selfish to sew my project of doom quilts. So today, you know, it's the middle of October now as I'm as I'm saying these things and I currently have 36 blocks. 36 blocks out of whatever that number is that I total need, it is, a you know, maybe 25% of the way there, maybe 25% of the way there. And the likelihood of me getting it done this Christmas borders on nil. And I'm stuck in this place. And help me out if you've ever felt this way. If I push, if I push really hard, I might finish, I might finish. If I give up some movie nights and some date nights and some weekend partying, I could probably finish the original plan I set for myself. Maybe, maybe. If I don't give up any movie nights or late nights or parties or weekends, then I could probably finish a less ambitious version. Like maybe the bookcase doesn't have legs or Norbert the dragon on top. Maybe it's, it's just the 25 squares put together, right? And it's not really this like insanely ambitious project. And but I still finish by Christmas. Um I don't love that idea. I don't love it. I feel like if a thing should be done, it should be done well or not at all. But then so often things get done not at all and I'm like am I being perfectionist? Am I being precious about this? Should I just dial it down? The other option, I could push it back. I could make it Christmas 2023 instead of Christmas 2022 when I wanted to be finished with this quilt. Um, but what if I do that and it just languishes forever? Then it becomes one of those unfinished objects. 
that's sitting in a bin, not getting sewn, full of good intentions. Um, but it's not on anybody's bed. You know, it ain't bringing anybody joy. And and so I get in this um, this loop where I, I I had a dear friend who said to me at one point, you know, Deborah, th- that's really not great stewardship. She was actually talking about some of my old blog posts because Whipstitch as a blog has been around since 2008. And I used to write tutorials more frequently than I do now. And I had all this content that really nobody saw because it was it was just buried. It was just buried deep, deep, deep in the blog. And she said, Deborah, if you think about it, that's not great stewardship. You've done all this work and no one sees it because you aren't refreshing it or talking about the work that you did. And I thought, like that comment really, really stuck with me. Um, And it's part of why I started the Whipstitch podcast was to talk about some of the projects that are on my blog that don't get a lot of attention, but they're still great projects and tutorials. Um, And so this feels like that. Like if I have a project that I started sewing filled with good intentions and I don't finish and I say, it's okay if I didn't meet that deadline, I'm going to set that aside, I'll do it later, suddenly it becomes not urgent and it can really easily drift into not important. But that feels like the time I've already spent on it is wasted. Counterpoint. Is that the sunk cost fallacy? Like, am I in a position where I've convinced myself, Deborah, you already started on this, you have to see it through, and because I'm worried about wasting the time I've already invested. So, so here, in summation, here's, here's where I land on that with this particular project, with my Project of Doom quilts, which are as yet 21.5% completed. Um, here's where I land with that. If... If I wasn't happy with the results I'd gotten so far, I would not push through on this project and make any attempt to finish it because I don't think that's a good use of my time to finish a project just for the sake of finishing it. As an example, I had I discovered a number of unfinished projects sitting in a box, four or five garments that I cut out at least five years ago, maybe more, and I decided I'm going to sew all of these up. And I made two of them and they were appallingly, they were just so big. You know, five years ago, six years ago, I weighed 30 pounds more than I do today. I don't know why I thought I could salvage these projects that were literally cut three or four sizes too big for me. What was the point of that? It wasn't a good use of my time. It was a great learning lesson. It was not a good use of my time. This particular project, the Project of Doom, which I wanted to make like the big Christmas present for Christmas 2022. Um, I love the results. Oh my gosh. You guys, there's this one block. It's actually a double. So it's 10 by 20. And it is the sorting hat with Hermione's cat, Crookshanks, peeking out from behind it. You guys, it's so great. I love it so much. And you get to play because this is... Because I'm making a bunch of different ones and they're all paper pieced, I'm using all these scraps for my stash that have been like actually legitimately turning to dust in the back of a cabinet, I get to pull them all out and I get to play with them and look at them and think about them. And it's very meditative and it does feel like stolen time and it does feel indulgent. But it's also, this is this is an heirloom quilt. This is a treasured object that I think my children will love forever. 
ever. My oldest child is married and she I'm putting stuff for her. Don't tell her about this podcast. And I'm putting stuff for her and her husband in it. So it's both their Hogwarts houses and all. Oh I mean, I get to get so precious about it. I love it. So here's where we're landing, mid-October 2022. My goal is to push through. My goal is to push through and to see this project to the end. Um, there is the chance that probably my best case scenario at this point is that they will all get the quilt top and not the finished quilt. That what I will present them with on Christmas morning is, I made this for you. May I please send it out to be quilted? Do you have any requests for the way it's quilted? Um, and maybe they get to choose the quilt design and that becomes part of the gift is that they have some input into that part of it. Um, but that is all assembled. Um, and I, I come to that from an honest place because more than once my mother gave me a wrapped Christmas present in a box and it was yardage and a sewing pattern. Not for me to sew, but for her to sew. Your gift is this shirt when I get there, but I ran out of time. So no shame. I was delighted. I was like, oh, you were thinking of me. Yes, I would like that. Um, so I think that is where we're landing. And I hope that you will send me every warm wish and um, positive energy that you can that somewhere over the next um, 10 weeks, um, I, I'm working to finish an absurd number of foundation paper pieced blocks so that I can produce five Project of Doom quilts for Christmas 2022. But my message to you, if you've been listening, is manifold. Um, I, I, hope, I hope that we communicate a new way of thinking about the holidays. I hope that that what our family has attempted to to refine and and really be conscious of over the last 10, 15, almost 20 years um, helps you think of the holidays and gift giving differently. That you know, we do work to make handmade gifts and I I start thinking about that way 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 before the gift is given, not because I feel obligated but rather because it brings me joy. Um and I hope that you offer yourself some compassion and some like out-of-the-box flexibility when it comes to handmade gifts, that there are a lot of different ways that they can show up, right? Those Christmas jammies don't have to be tops and bottoms. It could just be Christmas pajama pants and a t-shirt. That's cool. Or, you know, my husband didn't need pajamas last year, so he got a bathrobe last year because why make him another pair of pajamas when he already has pajamas? Maybe you have a child like I have who will wear pajama tops, not really a nightgown, just like a pajama shirt and no pajama bottoms because that's how they roll. Okay, dude, you do you. Uh, so, you know, I hope you will be thoughtful and mindful about the, the compassion you offer yourself as you make handmade gifts, that it really isn't about some sort of arbitrary standard you have to meet or, you know, what you're supposed to do to make it a handmade gift, but rather that the joy is in fulfilling someone else's hope because that is the magic of handmade Christmas gifts. Thanks for listening. <laughs> This episode of the Whip Stitch Podcast has been brought to you by the League of Dressmakers. Whether you make dresses or workout clothes or lingerie or jeans or any other garment in between, the League of Dressmakers is the online subscription club where you will find better results with fewer mistakes and more confidence by mastering the sewing techniques that ensure everything you sew feels great to wear. 
Come join our connected community and compete in our annual towing tournament. You'll find us at League of Dressmakers. That's L-E-A-G-U-E of dressmakers.com. As always, thank you for listening to the Whip Stitch podcast. A short correction. <laughs> American Thanksgiving is the fourth Thursday of November, not the third, but third Thursday sounds better. It just sounds better. It is, however, factually inaccurate. My apologies. <laughs>